I'm Hannes Roth. I'm here with my co-host Katharina Lauer, and this is Data for Life. Great to be back for our second edition of our podcast series. Hey, Hannes. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. Last time we had this wonderful conversation with Maria. And today we're going up north to Finland to talk with Hans Garrison, who's going to represent Medisapiens. So Medisapiens is another wonderful company founded in 2009, offices now in Helsinki and Cambridge. It's a company that provides digital health solutions. So it uses bioinformatics and biodata. And it's particularly interesting because it has created a couple of very interesting digital solutions. The interesting bit about Medisapiens is that they not only focus on human, but also veterinary applications. Yeah, you know what? This is really what strikes me most in the biomedical field. It's not all about pharma and diagnostic and therapeutics. There is so much interesting data plants and animals and humans, really understanding like the entire livestock of our planet. This is what this data might help us with and seeing like these kinds of products that really exciting. Hello, Hans. It's great to have you at our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. You are a very interesting person. I mean, I took a quick view on your CV on LinkedIn and what I found was intriguing but also astonishing. So you are a historian by training, you have significant industry experience, and now you're working as a sales manager at Medisapiens. So can you give us a little bit of a picture about how you bring these different facets together? I received my training about 20, 25 years ago at Radboud University in Nijmegen, which is the Netherlands. Indeed, uh, trained as a historian, but already back then I worked a lot with data that had to be put into Excel sheets. My uh, graduation thesis was about taxation in the 17th to 19th century. So it was a lot of numbers that had to be crunched, uh, especially as there were multiple money entities from the Netherlands, from Germany, from the Habsburgs and so forth. So already then I was working with crunching data, use, applying data, analyzing data. During my studies, I met what was to become my future wife, and is now my wife. And once I graduated, I moved to Finland, started looking for work, and I started working for a company that dealt with large cohorts of data in the telecommunications industry. Did a lot of work there, present the documentation, but also conversion from old values, old formats to new. Even brought me to Hungary for a moment. But yes, uh, really dealing with large cohorts of data, applying them, mixing them, also dealing with all the all the associated issues of analyzing them and so forth. Did that for quite a while, worked a lot in IT and about seven, eight years ago, I moved into biomedical healthcare. First, working with a company that was dealing a lot with dental data. And about three and a half years ago, I joined Medisapiens. Got now approximately seven, seven eight years of, of experience working with electronic health records, genomic data, clinical data, and the associated issues surrounding them. If I think of technology in Finland, I'm particularly looking at the telecom industry. Before the entire iPhone hype, <laughs> there was Nokia and uh, Nokia left quite a mark in Finland. Well, they're still around, especially with antennas and, and so on. Yeah, that's true. Let's look, for instance, at the Tampere area. There are still a lot of experts there, still a lot of computer scientists and engineers. I mean, they have worked on antennas, but also on all sorts of other innovations. And now what? So they're still living there. Do they make a transition? 
Is that one reason why we see so many successful, interesting new companies also in the life sciences, maybe? Because they transferred, so like yourself. Uh, no, I think it's more the education and also some of the groundbreaking work that has been done already since the 60s that has contributed to uh, Finn being very much focused on population research, on genomic research, in addition to the Finnish population being a little bit, let's say, standing out compared to the rest of Europe, as it has been a relatively isolated area. In the 60s, there was the uh, Karelia project, which was pretty groundbreaking for that stage in which the samples collected back then and the information back then are still being used as we speak in, in the FinGen program. The combination of education in healthcare and and, and genomics, as well as the higher prevalence of specific diseases among the Finnish populations have definitely contributed to a good group of highly educated people that are working both in Finland as well as globally. I know a lot of people, for instance, working at the Broad Institute in Boston from Finland as an as a, as a example. So Hans, there's one thing I'm really curious about, and that is the hunt for talent, for skilled employees. Do Finnish universities actually provide a pool of people you can easily recruit from or do you have to reach further to other European countries or do you recruit from all around the world? We mostly recruit within Finland, but the people that we recruit can can be from any country. We have at the moment Indian, German, Dutch, Vietnamese, from Canada, Italy, Portugal. The nationality does not matter, it's the skill set. The education here is very important. And it also gives us a good recruiting ground. What we aim is we try to have a healthy combination of IT people and bioinformatician people. We don't want to be an IT house. We don't want to be a bioinformatician house. We want to have that healthy combination. The University of Helsinki, a couple of others, and then also some of the other educational institutions here in the, in the capital region, they provide us, of course, with a very good opportunity to recruit people. Those schools usually attract also talent from abroad. That can be because the Finnish educational system has a good reputation and is relatively cheap. That's one. Or then, uh, like in my case, uh, they come here for love and, you know, they, they tend to stay. And then what academic and professional background do people at Metisapiens have? We have a combination, but from the scientists, we do expect that they have a, a certain IT capability, that preferably the IT people that they have a basic understanding of the requirements within the healthcare and biomedical scene. So it was a research project at the very beginning? Yes, it was a research program. So one of the free products that we are still providing on databases, which is IST Online, was an offspring of that. So that is still freely available. They had a program working together with Bayer in Germany, and that basically gave the push to found the Medisapiens in 2009. Having this guiding client is important, of course. Um, but if I look at Medisapiens now and all the data that is publicly available about your company is it's a platform business. It seems to be a highly scalable business. So the question for me is, how do you get out of it? How do you get out of the one research project thing into a scalable product environment? How did you do that? It has taken a lot of effort and also a lot of trust. I mentioned Bayer. They have been very crucial for Medisapiens to establish itself as a company. They have shown a great deal of trust, also vision, and trust in our vision to develop the technologies as we are working with today. In addition to that, within the regional environment, find a few clients that can complement that sort of work and cross-fertilize the developments that are happening for a Bayer or for other clients. And 
for example, on the other side of things, we have created the largest pure breed dog and cat DNA testing service. So we're talking about a million dogs at the moment. That was done initially for a local Finnish company, which a few years ago was purchased by Mars, the chocolate people, their pet care division. So they own Royal Cannon, the dog food and the cat food company. They own a group of uh, animal hospitals in the US. And they're using this to engage with breeders, ensuring that the health of the dogs and cats remains in, in good shape. That sort of technology, even though it sounds a bit off compared to drug development, uh, you're still talking genomics, you're still talking large cohorts of data that you need to process. You're talking about integrating NGS, developing algorithms that process that sort of data and apply it. So it has also been uh, trying to find the right customers, clients, partners to develop everything further. Selecting the right customer at the right point in time is important for ventures. And you being in sales, you have the direct connections to your customers and your end users. So you know what they want. You kind of also influence what customers you are going to work with next. So I'm asking myself, so, okay, once you have these kind of guiding customers, such as Bayer in your case, how do you approach the next customers? There's a lot of networking, obviously, and, and you need to find your niche. We are particularly buying biomedical data, especially genomic data and, and, and clinical patient data. And that really is our niche. There you need to find the requirement together with the other clients that we're working with. I would actually like to drill a bit deeper into data curation and of course the importance of data quality and the role of standardized ontologies data compatibility. Why is this such a big topic for Medisapiens? If I take the Finnish situation, for instance, Finland has been known to be very well in managing its electronic health records, for instance, in an electronic format um, already for decades. It still shows that despite all the effort, there is a regional discrepancy between, between files that can be due to a delayed or adaptation of, for instance, standards such as SNOMAT, that can be due to slacking it a little bit when we are dealing with Finnish healthcare providers above about their dialects in their text because different generations use different ICD codes and apply SNOMAD a little bit different already. Then you are even faced with different languages. The majority speaks Finnish, but there is also a, a Swedish-speaking minority here in Finland, but even English and Latin have been used for specific areas. So making data compatible and fit for purpose still requires effort. That's why, for instance, we are quite heavily involved in the application of the OMOP common data model. Um, there is the Eden Foundation that has been providing training within Europe, that has been providing support. That is very interesting to us because it provides an incentive to get data into a common data model, thus um, making compatibility easier in between data sets. Also research to function easier because access to the data is much more secure without jeopardizing that external people see the confidential information. And also for especially the pharma makes it much more interesting to reach out to data owners because they know that the data is of high quality and they know what they will get without that they immediately need to work on it. It's very frustrating that we say like, look, we can, we can do a lot for you with regards to the data that you're sitting on, but when the data is not compatible with each other or when the readout gives completely different results, if you're filtering multiple data sets and you just want to know how many men, how many women there are, but you need to train already the, the algorithm to recognize that, okay, it can be M, F, 
male, female, uppercase, lowercase, the higher the compatibility and the more understandable the data is, the better the results. And that works in our favor as well. And Medisapiens tries to, to make the life of those who work with this data easier, right? And you provide a couple of products there. And if I look at your product portfolio, something strikes me. Um, I saw that you have different products and maybe you can describe some of those. But also, you now strike this terminology of having this integrative platform. So can you tell us a little bit about that? So we are in the process of, let's say, well, rebranding is we're moving more towards the platform idea, where it is basically a technology solution to ensure that all your data, whether it's in your own database or from an external source, it all can be used together. It can be queried together, brought together, and you can build different applications on top of that, depending on your need. So that is what we aim to do as we look at the whole data life cycle. We look at that it is fit for purpose and there then the curation comes in, the ontology mapping, managing the data, querying the data, analyzing the data. We want to make that as flexible as possible, but the core is basically the data management. And on top of that, different areas can be added. But the core is making sure that data from different sources and from different formats, whether it's genomic data, whether it's clinical data, all can be put together and then queried together for better insights. And we really looked then at the whole life cycle to make that happen. Could you run us through one example of how this maybe has worked out for one of your customers? We have been speaking about Bayer, for instance. So Bayer is sitting on a lot of different data that they have acquired over the years. That has been from their own patient trials research, but it has also been data that they have acquired. So we have provided them with a platform where all the data comes together. The majority of that is stored in one central location, but there is also some data which comes from external reference databases. There is then the backend technology, which brings all that data together and makes it queryable. But in addition to that, we have also provided them with a query application, a very graphical user interface, which allows them to mix and match different data sets or parts of data sets and start querying those according to specific filters. So we make sure that they can use all the data together, visually query and browse it, and also make sure that they can take next steps with regards to the analytics. That can be done uh, using very visual applications. It can be even just using their own code using R or similar. We make sure that they can combine that with external data because they've got their EHR, they've got some other patient registers, they've got input from external service providers. They need at the moment, for instance, every 24 hours that data is being updated, but they also need to make reports to the finished state, how many COVID tests were done, how many patients. By a touch of a button, they can already say like, look, past 24 hours, I've got 50 tests, 25 men, 25 women, five positive, the rest were negative. But with that, they can also check whether these people have given their consent for further research. I'm sure that this is going to happen, that all people that have been suspected of having COVID or have had COVID, that they would like to recall them and say like, look, we would like to follow up what are the long-term effects. My question for you, Hans, is what role do open data play for MediSapiens? I will address this from a technology perspective and from a data perspective. From a data perspective, the more data is freely available and compatible with other data, the better for us, because it will help provide a more extensive solution to our clients to get started with. 
if we now have a new pharma, it would be lovely to say like, look, in order to get you started, you have your own data. But in the meanwhile, you also get already these, 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 and these data sets on top of it. So you can start exploring the data even further. And that's why, for instance, also our IST online is freely available. This is this is for us not a money maker. This is really more like, hey, look, we consider ourselves data experts and we want to also show that by providing this to the researchers. So we've had over the past year, I think five or six publications, especially with regards to oncology, using IST online. And that's just very nice to see. With regards to technology, we aim to use common standard technologies. That is not necessarily open code, but we do want to use technologies that are commonly accepted and that are mostly industry standards. We do not release our code just like that. We've put too much work in it and it's part of our business, our secret sauce. But we do want to ensure that we are using standards that are commonly accepted so that integration with other applications we want to make sure that there is one common standard and that when our client says like, look, we really like your data management solution, but we rather have an analytics program from a third party that we say like, look, shame, but we really want, want you as a customer. Here is a platform. Here is the API. Start building. Have fun. Because that also makes much happier customer. We also have cases where we need to combine our strengths and forces. And it's also much easier to go to a client and say like, look, this is what we do. This is what our partner does. And we can integrate this very easily. So you've made it already quite clear that in the life sciences, little happens in isolation and that collaboration is actually key. What role do public-private partnerships play for your company? And do you think this model will gain importance in the future? We have been working in a couple of IMI programs. Here, the Eden program is clearly stimulating data owners, making sure that data is compatible, especially that we're focusing lately on the COVID situation, of course. But it provides a financial stimulant as well as a business stimulant where the ones who are funding it is the European Union and multiple large pharma. Bayer is one, AstraZeneca, Celgene. It is a win-win situation where the data within the European Union is standardized and can be much faster and easier combined in case such as COVID, but also oncology research and so forth. It is also interesting from a commercial perspective for the pharma because they know that what they get is standardized data and a single query, whether they send a query over a data set of, let's say, oncology patients in Finland or in Portugal, they will get exactly the same quality of reply back. But what is also then important, and I think this is also for the general audience, the queries are made as such that big pharma, which sometimes is you know considered a big of an, a bit of an enemy, they do not get their hands on the data itself. They simply send a standardized query and they get a standardized reply back that does not include any patient identifiable information. So it really has multiple advantages for both the data owners as well as for the data users. If we talk about open data, we talk about it with relationship to open science. We believe that open data leads to scientific advance. What I'm interested in is um, innovation and entrepreneurship, as you know. Um, so let me ask you the following. How do you believe that open data shapes businesses in your field? It helps. Open data already helps you test specific approaches without that you immediately have a high threshold of acquiring data, helps you test specific cases, whether it's an application that you would like to test and how it crunches the data, 
I would say that also for the commercial side of things, open data definitely helps, if only because it lowers the threshold in, in order to try out hypotheses. It's a way of giving back, right? Exactly. Farm JKB data set was a good example of a relatively new startup company that is setting up some medication-related and genomics-related parts. For them already, the fact that there is a Farm JKB and that it's uh, freely accessible means a lot to them. They don't immediately have to push out huge amounts of money to acquire medication data. There are certain constraints, of course, with regards to the to the commercialization. Okay, fine. But simply the fact that it is freely available already helps them test their hypothesis, create an initial version. It's a proof of concept where they can acquire more investors, see what is possible, and, and so on. So it definitely has a role within the commercial side, not just on the academic side. Thanks, Hans. It was um, it was really a blast. Thank you. Thank you so much for yeah. having us. No problem. Um, yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed it very much. Fabulous. Thanks, Hans. That was great. I liked our little exploration to the Northern Hemisphere today a lot. Thanks for listening to the Data for Life podcast. And if you like our content, then follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Alexi Europe or Captain Future.